You know, today uh, our baptistry is ready, and, and it's interesting because right now we have uh, about 11 or so that are in our church that are, we're about to schedule to be baptized, but this morning we don't have anybody scheduled to be baptized, but our baptistry is ready. And um, have you been baptized? Have you followed the Lord? Have you ever had one of those moments when God spoke to you and said, I've got to obey him right now? I mean, right now, I've got to surrender to him. I've got to obey him. I've got to follow him. You know, uh, we're in Acts chapter 2, a moment in the, when the church began and, and 3,000 people right then were baptized. And so we couldn't preach this passage without having our baptistry ready, you know? We just couldn't. And, and I want you to know, if you've not been baptized, we're ready for you today. We have shorts, we have shirts that you can wear, we have towels. And, um, and so, if the Lord leads, today, after our second service, we're ready to baptize. And, and I want you to think about that. If that's, if that's not been a, something that you have obediently um, experienced in your walk with the Lord. You know, um, I'll never forget 2003, and I won't forget this date because I had a youth minister friend of mine. I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma City, and this youth pastor friend of mine came and talked to me, and he was struggling. And uh, he was kind of wrestling through a tough time in ministry, and he couldn't see how God was working in his life. And, and, uh, and he and I sat down together and walked through the scriptures and looked at what God was doing, and, and, and I... And I and God had put me in his life. And, but, but these bad habits and this willful disobedience just caused him not to be able to pay attention to what God was doing in his life. And, and I'll never forget that it was about this time in 2003 because in March of that year, I had a friend of mine that came up to me and said, hey, you want to go to the Final Four? It was in New Orleans. And I was like, man, I've never been to the Final Four. That'd be awesome. I love March Madness. I love filling out my bracket and all that stuff. And, and uh and I go, well, how much are the tickets? And he goes, well, we're not going to go to a game. I was like, okay, uh, what are we, we going to do? And he was a licensed, he sold NCAA gear. And he had a store on the corner of Bourbon Street and Canal in New Orleans. And he said, I need help running my store. Could you go with me? And I was like, I asked my wife. And she's like, oh, that sounds fun. Just go do that. So I, I go to help run this store during the Final Four. And I don't know if you've ever been to Bourbon Street and Canal, but you can't go there and not recognize that our world desperately needs Jesus, okay? And, uh, and so we're standing there. I've never seen so many drunk people come in and buy their college, you know, gear, you know, but it was crazy, crazy experience. Well, it was 3 a.m. one night, morning, however you want to look at it. It was dark. And uh, and he goes, man, you got to go outside and tell people the store's closed. And so, so we shut the doors, and I go out, and I'm standing on Canal Street, Bourbon Street's this way, and I'm standing there, and I'm just telling people, sorry, we're closed. People are walking by. Well, it had kind of, um, it hadn't died down. That, that place doesn't die down very much. But, uh, but all of a sudden, I'm standing there on this corner, and off Bourbon Street, this youth pastor that I talked to, walks around the corner with a big old beer in his hand, and he was half drunk, about three-fourths drunk probably. And he stops and looks at me. And he was like, Chris Wall, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I go, and I just, it was awesome. I just played it off like, 
God sent me to you right now. And I mean, this is awesome. I was like, I, I said to him, I said, hey, man, look, God is completely trying to get your attention. I mean, it was really awesome. It was, it was incredible. But, um, um, and he just couldn't believe it. And we talked, and I prayed with him right there. And, and, and he was just like, okay, God, I know you're real. You know, God works privately all the time. Uh, in our lives. God's at work in your life today. There, there are also times that God works publicly. I look at how God is at work in our church, and Brad Ayler is preaching this morning at, at our second campus that we're beginning to put together this plan, and, and, uh, and you may need to pray about whether or not you want to go serve at our Calvary campus. We're having live preaching there. We're not video casting this in, and, um, and God is going to do some neat things, and we're excited how he's at work. But, but two weeks ago, we started Acts chapter 2, and it's this incredible moment when the Holy Spirit moved. Now, um, I, I want to challenge us as we turn to Acts 2, if you have your Bibles, turn there, and uh, let's, let's come to this passage uh, with allowing the Lord to speak to us. So often we have opinions about this passage. If you've been in the church very long, you, you have maybe heard this passage preached. It's one of the most famous passages in all the scripture. It's an important passage of scripture because it's the moment the church began. I mean, from this moment, everything changed, and God began to do some very unique things, and this was a very, very unique moment. And, and I want us to, to really allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, because sometimes when we come to a passage like this, we think, oh, I know this. Yeah, I know this story. I, I've, I've, I've studied this before. I've maybe taught this before, and, and, and that's good. But let's, but let's come to the, the text today saying, Lord, what do you have to teach us? And, you know, God's word is amazing to me because it's new every day, and, and the Lord speaks and guides us, and it's really amazing. You know, in this text, we, we have to recognize that this is a moment that the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and this is a unique work of God. A lot of people read this passage and they make it prescriptive that this is the, this is the way you should um, serve the Lord. This is the way every church service should be. But, but the truth is this is a, a description of God doing a unique thing in this moment. It's a unique moment. And, and we see this and we recognize this. Now, in the book of Acts, there are several unique moments. It's this moment where the Jews, I mean, the audience here are Jews. That's who has come together. They're celebrating Pentecost. And, and this is a moment when the Jews are, are coming to Christ. There's another moment in Acts when the Samaritans come to Christ. And then there's another moment in Acts that's very important for us, when the Gentiles come to Christ. And this is a cool moment right here when the Jews um, are celebrating Pentecost. Now, we got to understand the timeline because 10 days prior to this moment, Jesus had ascended into heaven. Now, think about the condition of the disciples. I mean, the apostles, they were, they, they've gone from this, uh, you know, Jesus had, was crucified at Passover, and then he rose from the dead. He spent about 40 days with them, teaching them. And then he said to them 10 days prior to this moment, hey, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He ascended into heaven. And he said, and they said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And so the disciples have been waiting in Jerusalem. And we saw at the beginning last week of Acts 2 how the, the Holy Spirit had come upon them. Now, now you got to understand that these, believe, these followers, these apostles, this 120, they're already believers. 
They're already on their way to heaven. Uh, I mean, it's not like that they need to be saved at this moment. They trust, they believed in Jesus right here. I mean, they were like, he's the Messiah, and, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Now, we got to understand this. The Holy Spirit was not coming into them and saving them. They're already going to heaven. They've trusted Christ. But the Holy Spirit was coming in power, help, like Acts 1.8, helping them to become witnesses to the world. And this is an incredible moment. Now, Pentecost is one of these celebrations of Israel. And, and this is why people gathered in Jerusalem right here. Now, Pentecost is, uh, it's, it's 50, 50, you know, there, there, it's, it, that's what it means. Penta is 50. And, and this is a, a celebration that had taken place all the way since the Old Testament. Because what they would do, this, this period of weeks after Passover, they would come together and they would celebrate God's provision. God has provided, and so they would take their, their harvest, the harvest time had come, and, and they would say, Lord, thank you for your provision. And Luke points out in Acts 2 how this is a perfect moment. It's an incredible moment for Jesus to come in power, because think about this, Jesus had provided forgiveness. He had provided the, the one thing that would satisfy. I mean, think about the when you celebrate your harvest, you're like, oh, we're satisfied, we're, we're content. And see, Jesus had come, and, and he'd given them forgiveness, saying, look, you're, you can be made whole. You can be peaceful. You can be filled. And, and the Spirit comes to fill these disciples, and it's so incredible. Now, um, we know what happened up in the upper room. We looked at it a couple weeks ago, but I want to remind us that the 120 are gathered in this room. A sound like a mighty rushing wind came. And they were like, oh my goodness, what is this? Like a tornado-like wind came. And then all of a sudden these flames appeared probably in the upper room. These flames appeared and they're like, what's going on? All of a sudden they, these disciples were able to speak in known languages. And so they go out among all the people and, and probably the people in the, that were there for Pentecost heard the wind. They all gathered together. I don't know if they saw the flaming tongues, but... but but, but all of a sudden, these disciples are standing out among these people of all these nations, and they're speaking. They're Galilean. They, they speak with a hick accent, if you will. And, but they were speaking in their known languages. This is the context of this passage. They weren't gibberish. They were speaking known languages here. And it makes sense because, you know, the, the, this is a, an incredible statement that I think God is making that the gospel is going to go to the whole world. Every language, every tongue will be able to hear the gospel. And this is this, I don't think everybody captured that in this moment, but looking back on it, we can see this incredible moment that, the, that Jesus came for the world. And all these people spoke in languages and and, and I'll tell you, it's incredible. Would you stand with me? Let's look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to read together verses 12 through 15, but, but hold with us because we're going to kind of walk through, um, through verse 41. But it says this, verse 12, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now it's interesting. Let's, let's, let's stay here with me in this passage because we're going to walk through it. But, but the disciples had been proclaiming the mighty works of God. They were talking about the, the fact that Jesus had died and had risen from the dead. And that's, that's truly the amazing work of God, that he could conquer the grave. Because we, hear, we fear death. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of dying. But Jesus defeated death on the cross. And so the disciples are, are, are proclaiming these things, and everybody's listening and looking. And, and then all of a sudden, some people are saying they don't get it. They're like, yeah, well, you guys are drunk. And Peter's like, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. I mean, some people get drunk at 9 in the morning. Peter's like, that's not us. So he stands up, and I think he, Peter starts speaking in Aramaic. That was the language of the day. A lot of people... Um, uh, under, most people understood Aramaic. It was kind of the popular language. He stands up and he preaches a message. Now, you've got to understand that, that as people are hearing the works of God, they're not responding to the call of God yet. It was through Peter's sermon, as, as Peter gets up to preach, that's when people get it. Oh, my goodness. I need to respond to the call of God. Look at verse 14. And, and it's interesting because Peter wants this big pansy, this, this guy just a few months or weeks before, he's like bailing on the Lord, he's, he's afraid, he's not standing up. And now this this massive crowd, and Peter stands up and goes, listen to my, give ear to my words. He says, um, men of Judea, verse 14, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you and give ear to my words and then he goes on and he says in verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now this is the first sermon that we know of Peter ever preaching. And, uh, and, and quickly he turns to the book of Joel. And now it's interesting because he had been with Jesus. He had heard him talk and, and he had, um, you know, I guarantee he asked a lot of questions as, as the light bulb came on of, of Jesus. Oh, wait, we thought you were going to deliver us from the Romans but no, you came to deliver us from Satan and sin and death. Oh, I get it. And that's where Peter was. And he goes, the prophets have been talking about this from the beginning. Oh, so what Peter does is he goes, goes to Joel chapter 2. And he, and he, and he points out how, how Joel prophesied about the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the point today in your notes, and I want you to get this. That Peter articulates that God keeps his salvation promise. Now, I want you to know that, that this is something that God has done from the beginning. And this is true for these guys back here, that these Jews that understood Joel, they understood the Old Testament, that, that God promises that he would bring salvation. And, and I want you to know something. God always keeps his salvation promise. So, folks... When we face our own mortality, or we face our own, um, the day we draw our last breath, can I remind you that God keeps his salvation promise? He, he promises you eternal life. 
He promises you hope even in the midst, even in the face of death. And I want you to remember that. We as followers of Christ must remember that because sometimes we face our own mortality and we go, oh man, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I doubt. That's normal. That's normal. We're all going to doubt in those moments. I sure have. But let's remember that all through history, God has kept his salvation promise. And this is what Peter is saying. And, and he's saying, look, um, Jesus, this Jesus, God, he rose from the dead, and we were all witnesses to this. And this is a cool moment because he's saying, just like the prophet said that Jesus would come and he would die and rise from the dead. Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds were healed. Peter's like, okay, the prophets have been speaking about this for a long time. And what Jesus did on the cross is he kept his salvation promise because he rose from the dead. Now, what's interesting about this moment, Peter's making this public, this is a public sermon. There are people there that didn't like Jesus, that wanted to stamp out the name of Jesus. And what's interesting here is this would be easy to refute Peter. Because as Peter stands up and goes, hey, he's, he's risen from the dead. I mean, his tomb wasn't very far. All they had to do was go, man, here's his body. He's not dead. He's, I mean, he's not alive. He's dead. Here's his body. They couldn't do that. Why? Because he rose from the dead. Folks, Jesus conquered the grave. And, and, and you know what? It's interesting that, that they, Peter says, we were all witnesses to this. And this is one of the reasons we can trust Christianity. But then Peter, he goes for the juggler here. It's interesting because uh, he lets all these Jews know something very important as he preaches this sermon. He goes to the prophet Joel, and then he tells them, point number two is this. He says, you are guilty. You nailed Christ to the cross. And this is the big point in the sermon. He's looking at all these Jews, and he says, you're the one that's guilty. Many of these people saw Jesus die. They were one of the ones going, crucify him. Man, let's kill him. He's a blasphemer, a blasphemer and he, he, let's, let's get rid of him. And so many of these people that were in that crowd were there those days. And Peter gets in front of them, and he says, you did this. Look what he said in verse 33. Or 32, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst. A lot of these people, they saw his miracles. They saw him heal a blind man. They, they, they saw what he did. And many people said about Jesus, man, when he teaches, he teaches as one with authority. They, they looked at his miracles and he thought, they thought, man, he really... Only someone from God could do these things. And Peter stands before him and he says, remember his mighty works? Remember the things that he did? He goes on in verse 23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He's like, look, this was God's plan the whole time. God had this mapped out. The prophet spoke of this. He says, look at this, you crucified Look at that, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You know, P Peter makes this incredible proclamation, you did this. 
Look at verse 33. He writes, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. That's where he was, that's where he is. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit was coming and, and was moving. And, and Peter was trying to explain, look, we're not drunk. You're experiencing the Holy Spirit at work. He says, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then verse 34, and this, this crowd understood this. They knew Psalm 16. They knew about David. And he quotes David, for David did not ascend into the heavens. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And see, a lot of people looked at this prophecy about David and said, well, David was talking about himself. But Peter says, no, David went to the grave and he died and his grave's there. And his body, his bones were there. Jesus went to the grave and defeated it. And he's quoting Psalm 16. He looked at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Look at this. This Jesus whom you crucified. And he looks at this crowd and he says, you did this. And you know what? Jesus went to the cross, and guess what? Our sin, your sin, my sin, we did it. He went to the cross because of our sin. And look what Peter says, verse 37. As he drew the prophets, as he, as he drew this picture, this line between the prophets, and these people started thinking about, man, I saw him teach. I saw these miracles. I did it. I mean, these are people that yelled crucify him. You know what? We would have been right with all of them. You and I would have been right by him going crucify him. That's what we would have done. Now, when they heard this, look at verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And they were brokenhearted. They were like, he's right. I did it. You know, when, when, when I was saved, I, I got to that moment where I was like, it's my sin. Do you recognize that it's your sin? That's why Jesus went to the cross. And, he, and Peter said to them, they said, what, what do we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a moment that everything changed. He's like, look, when... When you repent, you come to faith in Christ, you'll be saved. The Holy Spirit will indwell you. This is the moment where it all changed. Now, let, let's think about this for a second. Because what a remarkable moment. They, they felt conviction of sin. Now, here's the thing. Conviction of sin is an essential part of any gospel presentation. You've got to recognize that you're a sinner. And, and no one can come to faith in Christ without conviction of sin. 
A person can't be saved unless they know that they're lost. You see, and many people in the world think, oh, I'm all right. I don't need to be saved. Let me tell you something. You, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've not been saved, that's the greatest need you have in your life. And see, these people were convicted. Genuine conviction is produced by the Spirit of God, and it's right in conjunction with the Word of God. And, and I pray that we hear this. Peter's word said repent. That's an that's a, that's a important word. That means you turn around, you turn directions. You, you're going this way, and I'm going to repent and turn and go this way now. You know, this is what happens when Christ saves somebody. I'm not saying you are, uh, um, that, that you don't struggle with sin. But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit moves you convicts you. And this is why when we've got to be careful in our, in our country, in, the, in this American Christianity that's developing, that, oh, it's just easy to follow Jesus. No, let me tell you something. You, conviction comes when Christ moves in your heart. Now, it's very important that we understand this, and let me explain this for a second, because when you interpret this passage, some people interpret this passage as Peter is saying that you, you repent and you have to be baptized. Some people put baptism and, and repentance together for salvation. But I want you to know water baptism is, is very important. Um, but, but you've got to recognize that Peter is not saying you have to put your faith in Christ, you have to repent and also be baptized or you're not saved. You know, we, to, to, to interpret, to link the repentance and, and faith in Christ with actual water baptism is misunderstanding what Peter is saying here and really what the Bible teaches all throughout the scriptures because he's, not, he, he's calling them to be baptized not as a, a means of salvation but as a way to proclaim and to, uh, to prove that they have been saved to the world that they live in because it meant a lot. It was a big deal for a Jew to be baptized. And so this was this public profession, and this is important to understand because salvation is a matter of true repentance. And all through the scripture we see this. But, but baptism um, is this demonstration to the world, to man, I submit to God. Now, uh, it's important that we see this. Salvation is by faith alone, and the Bible's clear on this. We're, we're, we're baptized in the name of, the, of Christ, and, and no, and, and, but baptism is important. The act of baptism is important because nowhere in, in Scripture, nowhere in the Bible does God allow for secret disciples. See, we're not to be secret disciples. And baptism is this very important step for us. And, and it's, it's the mark of salvation. And, and, and it's important to, to recognize this because this public testimony is, is, is important to, to, to experience. And that's why I want to say to you, have you been baptized? Have you, have you, you know, first of all, repentance. Have you repented of your sin? And have you followed him in obedience and baptism? 
Now, all through Scripture, passage after passage in the Bible points that salvation is when you trust in Christ. That, that's, you see it in Romans 10, 9, and 10, John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But, tr- but hear this. True repentance leads you to action. And don't miss that. True repentance will lead you to obedience. And, and that's why over and over you see, you see the Philippian jailer. Remember, uh, remember him? Or the, Ethiopian, the Philippian jailer, he was baptized. You see the Ethiopian, when he came to Christ, he said, Philip said, hey, there's water right here. Let's do this. Now, they were saved when they trusted Christ. You look at the, the thief on the cross. I mean, I mean he, what did Jesus say to him? Uh, Today you'll be with me in paradise. All through scripture, you don't see the link between water baptism and, and salvation. You see this water baptism being a public testimony. Now, um, point number three I want you to catch today is, is Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit conviction produces personal repentance and public obedience. You see, when the Holy Spirit moves in you, you will repent of your sin. You recognize your sinner. Look at, look at what verse 39 says. Peter says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You know, have you ever been far off? I mean, I was far off. And I remember when the Lord called me and saved me and and brought me close to him. He brought me near. In spite of my sin, in spite of my, my rebellion, in spite of those moments where I, I pushed him away, because right here as Peter's preaching, there are people that are pushing away the voice of God. And I think about that youth pastor in my life as he was pushing away God's voice time and time again. And can I just stand in front of you today and say, don't do that. Don't push his voice away. Verse 40 says, in many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So so I want you to know, you might say, hey, Chris, Peter preached really short. Why don't you learn that? You know, preach shorter. But right there, he says he did many other words. We just got a synopsis. That's an excuse to preach a long time. Um, But he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Boy, what a great statement. See, Jesus, when you turn to Jesus, when you, when you allow him to rescue you, we are rescued from this crooked generation. Oh, folks, that's, that's every generation. Then he goes on, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You know, what's interesting is all through history, people have criticized this passage and said, hey, we know where this was, and there's no way they could have baptized 3,000 people. No way. And, and all through, long, for a long time, people thought that. My, my mentor, my pastor in Council Road, he just went to Israel, and he did a video post. And, and uh, I was going to show up, but we don't have time. But um, he was in that spot, and he said, you know, for, for centuries they said, oh, this was impossible. 3,000 people couldn't be baptized here 
until they started excavating. They started excavating and dug up all these pools and, and, and they were like, oh my goodness, they could have baptized 10,000 people here that day. You know what? 3,000 were saved. So what does this have to do with us? You know, just like in this day in Acts 2, there's this call that has been, been given since this moment, and we're called to continue to, to proclaim this call, this call to repent, to, to turn from your sin, turn from your own way of doing things, you, turn from you being in charge, turn to Jesus. You know, follow him, repent of your sins. Be baptized. If you've not followed Christ in, in baptism, uh, you know, I, I pray that you think about this. What does this say about your testimony? If you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Oh, it's inconvenient. And, and we, you know, we, we're such a people of convenience. We've got to turn away from that and say, Lord, I'm just going to follow you no matter what. And I want you to see real quick why baptism is important because baptism doesn't save me, but, but it's important that you're baptized because it symbolizes that you're truly a Christian. When you're baptized, you'll, you would never find a New Testament believer that wasn't baptized. Now, in our day, we've changed the, the mark. We said, oh, I've, I've asked Christ into my heart. But see, the Bible says the symbol of our salvation is baptism. That's not to be saved. It's to tell in the world, I've been saved. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. And I want you to think about this. If Jesus commanded you to be baptized and you refused, what would that say about your commitment to him as Lord? So I just want you to know today, there's water ready. And we have everything you would need. You could be baptized this afternoon after the services, services are over. And, and if you need to do that today, would you, you could come. Come talk to one of our staff members. Come and, 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 and let's do that. You could leave today saying, Lord, I have obeyed you. I've trusted you. So if that's where you are today, come. I'll come. Let us help you. Um, you know, so often we resist the call of God. But I love the song that we just sang, I Surrender. This moment where you say, Jesus, I'm going to obey you right now.